Thanks for listening to WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live via WBAI.org. This is Driving Forces, where we take a deeper look at the issues and people shaping our community and our country. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston. Our beloved Jeff Simmons is taking a brief and much-deserved break. He will be back with us very soon, and I can promise you he is already lining up some more great guests for our shows later this month, so definitely stay tuned for those. And Jeff, if you're out there, I hope you're having something of a restful uh, break from the program. Uh, Speaking of which, and all the great shows that we have coming for you later in this month, which, by the way, I believe is the four-year anniversary uh, this month of Jeff and I bringing you Driving Forces, this is a great time for me to remind you that WBAI is listener-sponsored non-corporate radio. We can only have these conversations with your help. That said, please go to WBAI.org today to support free speech radio by giving generously to the Tower Fund. Every dollar you give helps us pay the rent on our tower and keep us on the air. That's WBAI.org. Remember, your contribution to WBAI is tax deductible. You can even donate a car to WBAI. As you may have heard in the promo just a a short time ago, um, you can get a tax write-off. You can do something good for independent media in New York City. Give to WBAI today. And thanks so much. So lots in the news this week, as always, uh, as you probably have heard, there's a new variant specific booster shot against COVID-19 that could be available very soon. The updated Pfizer version of the vaccine will be available for people 12 and older. The Moderna version will be for people 18 and older. The hope, of course, is that the new formulation will protect people better against the newer Omicron strains of coronavirus that account for most of the recent cases that we've seen. Uh, nearly six million cases of COVID-19 have been reported in New York State so far, with more than 70,000 deaths. Um, disturbing story I saw separately uh, out of West Point, uh, the U.S. Military Academy, that's about 50 miles north of the city, a Congressional Naming Commission reviewing and removing uh, Confederate memorials reports that there is a, no joke, a Ku Klux Klan image on a bronze plaque outside the West Point Science Center. This plaque shows a figure wearing a robe and a hood, carrying a rifle. What will happen to that plaque is not clear yet. But uh, right now, the commission is a little bit held up by the fact that they can only uh, remove uh, images that are specifically related to Confederacy, uh, to the Confederacy, to Confederate issues. West Point said in a statement that it does not accept, condone, or promote racism, sexism, or other biases. So we're going to keep our eyes on that one. Uh, And finally, there's a new Quinnipiac poll out that says six weeks after President Joe Biden hit rock bottom on his approval ratings since taking office, his numbers are starting to climb. Now, only 52 percent of Americans give him a negative rating, but that's down from 60 percent who gave him bad marks in July. More than half of Americans approve of Biden's plan to cancel some student loan debt for people making less than $125,000 a year. However, only 27% approve of his handling of the situation at the U.S. border with Mexico. Now, there was something else in this new Quinnipiac poll that really caught my eye, and not in a good way. Uh, this is something that I've written about quite recently for Neiman Reports, which is a journal about media run by the Neiman Foundation at Harvard. Uh, 
Uh, so the Q poll finds that 67 to 29 percent Americans think that this nation's democracy is, quote, in danger of collapse, unquote. Think about that for a second. About two thirds of Americans think our democracy is falling apart. And apparently these fears are getting stronger over time. That's a nine point increase from January when only only 58 percent of people surveyed by Quinnipiac thought American democracy was going to hell. Of course, this evening's big news event is a primetime speech by President Biden on what he's calling the dangers posed by uh, the so-called, quote, ultra MAGA movement, which is this extreme right wing brand of politics embraced by supporters of former President Donald Trump. These are people who are out there spreading conspiracy theories and misinformation about the American electoral process not being reliable or legitimate, telling lies about extensive systemic voter fraud in the United States, which does not exist, and even embracing political violence up to and including an actual civil war. So uh, I wrote about how some news organizations are setting up special teams or desks specifically to cover democracy and threats to democracy. And there are a lot of different approaches to doing this. But one of the central focuses of a lot of those efforts is covering a cornerstone of a healthy democracy, which is the right to vote. And, you know, there's no question that everybody who's qualified to vote should be able to do so freely and fairly. There's no question that some of those rights are in jeopardy thanks to lawmakers, candidly, most of them Republican lawmakers, who are busy enacting rules that have the practical effect of making it more complicated or more inconvenient to vote, uh, particularly when it comes to people of color. what we want to talk about today, though, is something a little bit different, related but different, which is what about when people don't have these entrenched extreme barriers to voting, but they simply choose not to show up? What does that mean for democracy and what can we do about it? So joining me now to talk about exactly that is Rachel Holiday smith Rachel is an associate editor for The City, an independent nonpartisan news site where she leads explanatory and service journalism. Previously, she worked for WNYC, DNA Info and New York One News. Her writing has appeared in The New York Times, Curb New York, Gotham Gazette and more. So looking forward to speaking to her with that. Rachel Holiday Smith, welcome back to WBAI. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. So let's start with the big picture. Um, You've written a lot of pieces about people actually showing up or not showing up. What do we know about how many people turned out for the August 23rd election? I think the the Board of Elections said there were about 2.3 million people who were eligible to vote. Yeah, exactly. So it was a smaller pool of people who could have voted in August than in our June primary Um, And for people who didn't vote at all and didn't know that we had two primaries this summer, it was bifurcated. Um, And we right now, the tally is somewhere about 12 percent of people who could have voted in August did. Um, That's really low. Um, It compares roughly to the amount of uh, eligible voters who came out in June as well. So both of those, you know, sleepy summer primaries had, you know, barely double digit turnout figures. Um, and even for New York, which sort of is a notoriously low turnout state, has been for decades, it was a pretty dismal dismal turnout. And many, many people who could have 
uh, voted in those primaries did not. So did not cast those ballots. And, and that's a that's a good point to make, because I think it might be easy for at least some people to shrug this off and say, well, you know, it's summer, people aren't around or people are busy with other things, or maybe they didn't know that they were eligible to vote in a primary. Maybe talk a little bit about why does New York have such low voter turnout? Why are people not even bothering to exercise their right to vote? Yeah, I spoke to several voting experts to ask them, how do we boost turnout? Um, and many just talked about, you know, how for many years now, there's just, you know, even in really good elections, New York voters, um, you know, our best case scenario is like 24, 25% turnout. We really, we, we don't hit those high numbers in the 40s and 50s or even higher very often. Um, and, you know, the explanation varies. Sometimes it's people just aren't, you know, interested. They don't think that politicians are trustworthy. They don't think that their voice will count. Um, they just, you know, aren't paying attention to the the issues and they just don't really have the drive to go out and vote. And it's, it's not just, you know, this election, certainly, um, but it's a long time trend. I will say that many of the experts I talked to did say that this summer was particularly bad because uh, for those who don't know, you know, we had this crazy sort of chaotic redistricting process this spring. Um, the Court of Appeals threw out the Democrat-led redistricting maps that created these new political boundaries. And because of that, they had to push back the primary. Uh, then the state chose to, instead of just push back all the primaries to August and have one primary, they decided to split them, which is just, you know, if you're trying to get people to the polls, that's hard. It's asking people to go out and vote twice. Uh, it was confusing as to, you know, which offices are you voting for in June versus August? It was a bit confusing. So, you know, to compare this summer to other elections is maybe not what we should be doing. But, you know, it, it, it's just a tr part of the trend of just really low turnout in New York. Um, and unfortunately, uh, you know, the experts I spoke to you know, they talked and we can talk about sort of the, the solutions that they were bringing up as to how to boost boost turnout. But many sort of cited um, this larger cultural problem. You know, you can fix the structure and make it easier for people to vote. And certainly they advocate for that. But um, in the back of the conversation was sort of this pessimism of, you know, pe people don't want to vote even if we make it super easy for them. So it's a tough problem. This is WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live via WBAI.org. You're listening to Driving Forces. I'm your host, Celeste Katz-Marston. Right now, we're talking to Rachel Holiday-Smith, who oversees explanatory and service reporting for the city. And Rachel, you wrote this piece, which is why I asked you on the program today. I care a lot about covering voting and voting rights, election administration, did that for many, many years, still, still doing uh, work on that. Um, I wanted to go through and, and I'll sort of, you know, tick these off one at a time. Some of the things that the experts told you about how to fix this problem of people mm -hmm. just not showing up, getting people energized, getting people empowered, but getting them, you know, motivated. So let's let's talk about some of those. Um, let's see. I think the first one you had mentioned uh, was no excuse ballots, same day registration. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, sure. So um, if folks remember, this was um, 
on the ballot last November, actually, for voters to approve a ballot measure that would have um, enabled New York State to do um, no-excuse absentees and um, same-day registration, which basically means you can, you know, same-day registration is you can register to vote the same day that there's a, you know, um, a primary, perhaps. Uh, so it makes registration, registra- registering to vote very easy. Um, and then no-excuse um, absentee ballot voting is something folks may be familiar with because we, in effect, had that during the COVID-19 pandemic um, because uh, Cuomo signed a executive order to say anybody who has been exposed or threatened by COVID-19 can get an absentee ballot, and that's your excuse for getting an absentee, and everybody <laughs> fell into that category. So basically anybody could um, use that excuse, um, as it was called, to get an absentee ballot. That has now um, subsided. Uh, that is no longer you know, the the policy. So you have to have sort of a reason to get an absentee ballot rather than just, hey, I, I want an absentee ballot and please give me one and then the state issues you one. Um, so if, um, you know, Albany could pass those two policies, it would make it easier for people to access the polls. Um, the problem with that one is that it takes a state constitutional amendment. So it takes a really long time for that to actually change uh, last November when that ballot measure actually was t- voted down by voters, sort of surprisingly to advocates. Um, yeah, you would think. It, I mean, re- just, yeah. you know, not to, not to break in on you here this way, but it's just it's some of the stuff that we're talking about here is sort of astonishing. New York is, you know, always sort of priding itself on being in the vanguard of yeah. progressivism and inclusion. Yet you have to like almost literally prove you have a broken leg or you're going to be on vacation to get somebody to mail you a ballot. Seems kind of outrageous, really. Yeah, I mean, other yeah, states was, have um, vote by mail in its entirety. They do the entire right, exactly. election by mail. Right. You're, yes, that's that's right. And that was exactly what advocates were saying. It was it was a surprise um, vote down. And to to redo that, to get that back on the, the ballot um, for voters to approve, it would take two votes by two successive um, uh, legislature sessions. So two two of those plus going back to the voters for about ref- uh, not referendum, but about measure. So if we want those things and we want to have no excuse absentees, and we want to have same day registration. It's going to take years now um, to uh, get that change in the state constitution. We're talking to Rachel Holiday Smith from the city who wrote recently about what can we do? What are measures that might help New Yorkers actually show up more to vote? Just coming off of two very, very low turnout uh, primary elections this summer, one in June, one in August, uh, turnout in the teens, uh, not exactly the most impressive thing. Another thing that the experts mentioned to you was the idea of open primaries, which certainly New York has not not featured. Uh, what, what's the thinking there? Yeah, so that would basically, at the very basic level, just um, open up primaries to all voters instead of people who are registered with a major party. So right now, very simply, if you, you have to be registered as a Democrat or Republican to vote in primaries. Uh, so the idea here is you get rid of that and independents can vote in primaries, um, Democrats can vote for Republicans, it's sort of open. Um, and it's also called nonpartisan primaries. And, you know, even though, um, especially in New York City, and, you know, our publication covers New York City, it's such a, we think of it as such a blue town, you know, lots of people are Democrats, 
But the voter registration numbers show that, yes, but there's also a, a, more than a million people who are independents that are not with a major party. So the idea here is um, let's not disenfranchise those folks and let's allow them to vote in the elections that effectively choose who will get that office because so often the general election uh, doesn't really matter. You know, the person who wins the primary wins at all. So um, that's the idea. This is um, this idea has been pushed before, I believe, in 2003 by Mayor, former Mayor Bloomberg. Um, but uh, a, a man, a man who knows his way around a party registration switch. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Um, so, yeah, that, you know, it's been talked about a lot, but it um, it hasn't picked up steam, you know, for reasons that are, you know, sort of obvious, which is that the folks in power who benefit from this closed primary system don't want it to change, right? Um, and the folks who have power want to keep it. So it's um, it would be a really uphill climb to get this, but, you know, the, the sort of good government groups and the voting advocates who want this to be a little bit more open say that that would be a, a pretty big substantive change to just allow a lot more people to be motivated and energized to vote where it counts and when it counts. And Rachel Holiday-Smith, you wrote also in your piece looking at uh, what experts are saying about how to improve voter turnout. Uh, there was one heading that was rock the vote at settlement houses and places like them. So this is about reaching out to to more people to motivate them to the polls. Yeah, exactly. This, you know, I just really wanted to speak with someone who, you know, was on the ground getting people to actually get to the polls. And I spoke to um, someone who works for um, United Neighborhood Houses, which is UNH, which is a umbrella group that oversees 40 different settlement houses. And for those who don't know, settlement houses are essentially, you know, community centers, social services centers that date back to the late 19th century, early 20th century. Um, and they have for several years now, um, really made a civic engagement effort to make folks who are sort of interacting with those settlement houses sign voter pledges. And, you know, they follow up with them, they call them, they make sure they have a plan to vote. And they're they're basically doing the the door knocking, the virtual door knocking to make sure that people get to, to vote. And they've had some real success um, boosting numbers of the people in sort of their larger community. And, you know, the person who I spoke to there just said, you know, we need to fund and support places like that who maybe they're not um, a party or a campaign. They're this more trusted source where your kid goes to get childcare or where you're taking a class or, you know, you're going to sign up for social services in some way at the same time that you're doing that they're going to sign you up to vote and make sure you vote. And they were saying, let's already use the organizations and the structures that um, are in touch with people already to try to boost voting numbers. So, um, you know, it's not, it's not a, it's not a big revelation, a big new idea. It's just, you know, get people where they are and meet people where they are and um, treat voting as sort of part of the, you know, menu of social services that you might be able to access at a place like a settlement house.
So among all that, and there are even more, uh, there are more topics that you cover in your piece, universal ranked choice voting, uh, banning elections during summer vacation, which should seem <laughs> to make a lot of sense. Do you, do you have any sense as you're talking to people and as you're looking at the political landscape, um, any of these things more or less likely to, to see the light of day in New York? Um, you know, interestingly, I, even though it would be an uphill battle, it would have to come, you know, through a state constitutional change. I could see universal ranked choice voting becoming perhaps a thing just because people seemed to get it during the primary last year um, in 2021 for the mayoral election. And um, I actually saw, you know, this is very anecdotal, but I saw people tweeting and saying, you know, oh, I wish that I could have done ranked choice for some of these congressional um, districts you know, in lower Manhattan, particularly in, in Brooklyn. Um, I wish there were so many candidates. I wish I could have ranked them. Um, and because we've already, you know, seen that happen and people have voted that way, I could see perhaps, you know, it going statewide if enough people wanted to push for that. But again, that would have to come from a state constitutional change, which would come from the legislature. And <laughs> it's, it's tough. It's challenging. But since people, you know, already did it once, Maybe they'd, they'd want to do it for other races, too. Um, we have in the city, why not the state? So perhaps perhaps that's something. I also wanted to just say that um, I talked to State Senator Zellner Myrie, who's the chair of the elections committee in the Senate, um, and he gave a shout-out to the city board of elections <laughs> for wow. the, the very, you know. That's a, a rarity in, uh, in modern yeah. New York, right? But he, he did say, and he, it's right, that this summer – there were very few glitches with the city board of elections and for once everything pretty much ran smoothly and ran as it should. And he said, if we want to, you know, get people to the polls and make them excited to vote, we got to keep that up, right? We've got to actually make sure our elections run as they should. So he just wanted to give a quick shout out to the board of elections for doing their job correctly. So there's that. Well, I, credit, credit where credit is due. And as somebody who spent many, many years covering uh, the New York city board of elections, and I mean like a lot of time spending <laughs> spent covering the board of elections, like there's certainly a lot of criticism. Some of it merited. I think that um, people have raised some valid concerns in the past about the degree to which uh, the board of elections is maybe not as professionalized as a sort of a civil mm -hmm. service function. Um, of of a, an agency that you would expect uh, compared to other agencies where people maybe take examinations or have certain professional qualifications. There's been a history of nepotism at the Board of Elections. Uh, do, mm -hmm. do you think that, you know, are you seeing some signs that maybe they are turning the corner in terms of doing a very, very tough job with a minimal number of problems? Well, I mean, you know, we have reported on some things that went wrong this summer, but none of them were widespread or really catastrophic. Um, but and they, you know, they they've got their election and sample ballot like lookup tool that's super helpful. Um, and on primary day and during early voting, nothing too too bad, you know, went down. No huge amounts of disenfranchisement. So, yeah, I mean, they seem to be uh, doing their job better than elections I've covered in the past. So keep it up, Board of Elections. <laughs> that's all I can say. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, wrapping this up on a positive note for the Board of Elections, Mike Ryan, I hope you're listening to this program on replay many times. Uh, Rachel Holiday-Smith, if people want to find out more about you and your work for this city, where can we send them? 
Sure. Well, people should visit thecity.nyc. We have uh, a morning newsletter that is wonderful, and people should read that. And um, I'm on Twitter at Rachel Holiday. Um, but please, yeah, sign up for the city's newsletter and read us. Wonderful. Rachel Holiday-Smith, thank you so much for coming back here to talk to us on Driving Forces today. Of course. You're listening to WBAI New York, 99.5 FM, and streaming live at WBAI.org. This is Driving Forces. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston. Jeff Simmons is off this week, but he will be back with us soon. Do not fear. Uh, if you're just tuning in, we spoke a moment ago with Rachel Holiday-Smith of The City. It's an independent, nonprofit news outlet. And we were talking about why so few New Yorkers show up to vote and what can be done about it. Maybe it means open primaries or universal ranked choice voting might be exciting for some people. Same day registration, reaching out to people where they are, um, getting rid of uh primary elections during the middle of summer vacation. Lots and lots of things going on. They're changing uh, elections uh, to only even-numbered years, another thing that the experts have mentioned. All these things are really important to our democracy, to our society. And once again, just want to take one moment to remind you that in order to keep bringing you these urgent conversations about our public policy, about our democracy, we need your help. Please just take a few moments today, go to WBAI.org and give as generously as you can to support this radio station. You can even become a BAI buddy in the name of this program, Driving Forces, and you can make a recurring monthly donation in whatever amount you wish to help keep free speech radio alive and well in New York. That's WBAI.org. Don't forget, we are a 501c3 nonprofit. That means your gift is tax deductible. Go to WBAI.org and look for ways to donate. You know, it has, it takes us $17,000 a month just to keep our signal alive because that's the rent that we pay on our broadcast tower at four times square, $17,000 a month. And we don't barrage you with endless commercials here on WBAI, like maybe other radio stations or TV stations or even websites that you use. We don't get big money from big corporations. In fact, many of us here at the station, like my co-host Jeff Simmons and me, we're volunteers. We give our time to WBAI because we care about New York. We care about free speech. And so we rely on real New Yorkers just like you to help us protect and maintain and keep alive free speech radio. So please take a moment today, WBAI.org. You can support the Tower Fund. You can give in any amount you choose, $25, $50 more if you can do it. New York needs and deserves independent free speech radio. Please chip in by going to WBAI.org and lending a hand today. This is Driving Forces. We just spoke with Rachel Holiday-Smith of the city, and now we're going to move on to set the stage for what's on the ballot in November with another member of the same outlet. This is somebody I worked with personally, have long admired. Harry Siegel is a senior editor at the city and the creator and co-host of its FAQ NYC podcast. You should definitely check it out. He's also a columnist at my old alma mater, the New York Daily News, and a former member of its editorial board. Previously, he was an editor at the Daily Beast, political the New York Press and the New York Sun. He's also been a columnist at the Village Voice. He is the co-author of The Prince of the City, Giuliani, New York, and the Genius of American Life. Harry Siegel, welcome back to Driving Forces. Hey, Celeste, how are you doing? Good, good. Better now that you're here. Happy, always happy to talk to you, man. Um, so 
one of your columns, I just wanted to start with this because I found this super interesting. Uh, we've been talking about elections. Um, one of your recent columns for the Daily News had this kicker. It was a, a hell of a line. You said, quote, while Democrats are campaigning on the premise that the American way itself is on the ballot this November, New York's one party contests mostly seem to be defined by a narcissism of small differences. I don't think that's a compliment. <laughs> tell, tell us a little bit more about about what you see there. What, what did you mean by that? So let's yeah. The Democrats were very concerned about the future of our democracy. It should all be given to WBAN. <laughs> these are these are you know the same folks who are not turning out in these more or less sham elections, uh, to, to put it bluntly. So in New York 10, which I focused some of this column at, uh, which was open because of a whole ridiculous series of events, too super involved to get into. Of involving Democrats drawing new maps that were meant to hold their power and a judge overturning them and then having two primary dates, one in August in the middle of the summer when no one's here. Uh, the guy who won, finally, spent more than $4 million of his private fortune to get 16,000 votes. Uh, the second place person got 15,000 votes in the Democratic primary, but that's really the whole game. Uh, the general election, the Republican is irrelevant. Um, and let's also be blunt, it makes almost no difference who the junior member of possibly the minority party, but in any case, uh, who, who the junior member of Congress representing the district is in terms of how they're actually going to vote and function. And, and looking at this, looking at, at these ballot initiatives we're going to have that nobody's going to look up, or vote for, you know, there, there's just some serious disconnect uh, between our, our nominal democracy and the system that's rewarding the will of the people and, and uh, what we uh, what we actually had. With very few competitive general elections nationwide, but in New York in particular, and New York City in particular, uh, and, and less and less over time. So I have become very cranky about this. There were like 12 candidates <laughs> New York 10, because it was an open district, because the incumbent moved into another district, another incumbent moved into another other district in the Hudson Valley. <laughs> another another other district. <laughs> it, it, it's dizzying to follow. That guy, Mondaire Jones, had the Working Families Party line in the general, but they endorsed you knew in the primary. He now has given up their line. Maybe she'll run on it. Um, it, it it's this just isn't what a functioning democracy looks like. It's what a system in which most people are not allowed or only just, just more or less discouraged from, from participating. And, and, and uh, then you have the, these ridiculous games of musical chairs that are very high stakes for the candidates involved and are in some marginal ways a signal for where the Democratic Party is going. But, but they feel an awful lot like campaigns and debates about nothing. And, and that just leaves me with a very... Uh, Sour feeling, particularly at a moment when New York City is not doing particularly well, when there are very dark clouds ahead, and none of the representatives or politicians we have seem capable of having a really serious conversation about it. But, but it's late in the day, and I'm grumpy. <laughs> well, I mean, but look, there's there, there's room for that, uh, Harry Siegel of the city. There's room for that because, look, I mean, you're looking at this thing. You're somebody who's watched politics for a very long time, and, you know, you've seen the sausage made, and – 
I mean, I guess the, you know, the question here is always, okay, something is going wrong. Something is broken. How do we fix it? And I don't know, my experience, at least, um, a lot of the times the fix is not favored by the people in power because that would require them to, to give up some power. So it's, it's usually a, a tough sell. But I mean, do you see anything that's going to fix what, what is making you cranky? Nonpartisan primaries would be absolutely great. So it's not just registered Democrats only in the primary in which only they can vote, functionally deciding who holds most of the offices in New York. Easy, obvious, very simple, for a variety of reasons, starting with the disinterest of the Democrats at a supermajority in Albany. Uh, in going that way, it's hard to see this actually happening. But if people are serious, those Democrats, about uh, – about creating a, 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 a decent and functional democracy, one that could really put red states to shame, as, as opposed to having lots of rhetoric you're aiming at them, but our participation rates and our rules are really nothing to brag about. Uh, that, that would be the, the, the simple, immediate fix, I think, would uh, produce tremendous dividends, and I don't think will, in fact, happen. Although there is a bill, uh, the, the one uh, person in Albany, Bobby Carroll, was introduced to do this. So uh, Harry Siegel is uh, an editor at the City, a columnist for the New York Daily News. And Harry, let me go back for a second to what's going on in the 10th Congressional District. We talked about that a lot on this program, this huge field of Democratic primary candidates, tons of people, some people very familiar, some newcomers. You know, what do you think is going to happen there now, especially as you mentioned with uh, Assemblywoman uh, Yulene New? Um, is she is there some other path to Washington for her, having lost this very low turnout Democratic primary to uh, Dan Goldman? Almost certainly not. However, the Working Families Party, which usually uses its line, New York's fusion system, in which you can vote for a candidate in a multiple lines to push Democrats to the left, clearly wants her to run and challenge Dan Goldman, uh, who she lost to by about a thousand votes as I said, coming in second in this crowded field. Um, Very obviously, National Democrats really don't want this. It would suck up a tremendous amount of media attention. And if you was at all competitive, you should be sucking up fundraising nationally that could go to competitive districts, hitting a Democrat against a Republican. Um, I'm not sure that New wants to do this. She's taking her time. It's notable that the WFP put out their tweet and statement first. The, the, the line is open, and, and they're considering this before the presumptive candidate uh, knew, did the same and said she was. The deadline is Tuesday, so we'll know at that point. From the WFP's perspective, the WFP used to have a big waiver component. So it had activists, and it had waiver, which connected it to industry in New York, effectively. Um, Andrew Cuomo and one of his many vendettas basically told the unions, you're with them or you're with me. Uh, he's the governor who controls $100 billion plus. The unions all went with him and not with the party. And that made the party that much more activist, ironically creating exactly the party Cuomo claimed already existed that might do this challenge if they can get new on board that would really not be in Democrats' interest looking at the national landscape, at least in my view. And the deadline for her to make a decision is this Tuesday. So we'll know very soon whether or not that's happening. You'll be, I'm sure, talking all about it. And uh, listeners will be hearing all about it and, and reading uh, if that does occur. 
I'm interested in what you're saying here, because I did want to go back also to uh, another question related to the Working Families Party. You touched on it a little bit earlier, but the situation with Mondaire Jones, I noticed that you had flagged this on Twitter. Uh, there was a, this this whole sort of drama and backstory about whether he had assurances or not assurances about Working Families Party support and what happened there. Uh, you know, tell us a little bit about that. But then, like, big picture, what is going to happen to the Working Families Party? Where Where are they going? My man, Dan Morans of Huffington Post, had a big story up a couple days ago. Um, basically, with allies of Jones, who finished third in the race, just behind you, who finished just behind Goldman. Um, and news argument, by the way, is if you had all the threats of votes, I would have won the primary super easily. But that isn't true. Not everyone was voting on that basis. And the people who are going to vote in the general are different. Lots of other Democrats trying. Anyways, that said, he has this piece up with, uh, with Mondaire Jones, who got pushed out of his Hudson Valley district, uh, freshman lawmaker, and decided to run in this open 10 seat in this bizarre game of musical chairs, um, with Jones saying that the WFP had basically, or the leader of the WFP in New York, had promised, uh, had promised that he'd have their endorsement. Um, that, that's, uh, sh- uh, sorry, Sophie, uh, Nameka, um, <laughs> The party says that's not true. And in fact, the way the party is constituted now, you know, it's, I I don't think any one person has the ability to deliver on that. It is notable, as journalist Sally Goldenberg pointed out on Twitter, that Maya Wiley has said the same thing about the WFP during her mayoral run. Uh, When Jones Ally said WFP wrote a check they couldn't cash. Um, And and to some extent, I, I, I think the party is more and more in the control of its activists and not its titular head. And maybe not incidentally and interestingly, the same dynamic more or less applies to the New York City Council, where each speaker for some time now has won that office in part by promises to reduce their own power and make that function more democratically, a small d, uh, such, such as that is. And this, of course, comes with complications in terms of what leaders can uh, – promise and like which checks they can cash. So the WFP's thing has always been, we're not going to harm Democrats in any given run, uh, but we're going to hold them to their promises. And at this point, if they don't end up having a new run against Goldman, in some ways it's really calling that bluff. Because again, while that would be terrible news for the Democratic Party nationally, and I'm expecting they've heard from already Hakeem Jeffries and Nancy Pelosi, there's zero chance in that district that a Republican wins. There is a Republican nominee. I literally don't know the person's name. I'm assured, listeners, it does not matter in terms of what the outcome would be here uh, with or without this third-party run from, from New. So the, the WFP has become more radical with this new structure. And are they still part of the Democratic Party? This pony to the left? Are they in some competition with it? It's really unclear, and it'll be interesting to see how they play out this race and where that leaves them. And as a lot of the activist momentum has ended up with uh, the DSA, um, more so than, than, than with the WFP, which I think is struggling to find its footing at this point. 
And then just last thing in the, the, the moment I have to, to work you over before we wrap it up. Um, you know, on your podcast, FAQ NYC, everybody listen to it. It's good. Um, you took a look at how candidates preferred by Mayor Eric Adams did or didn't do, uh, in this season's primaries. You know, how, how big of a deal do you think that is for him and for us? I mean, the candidates he wanted who ran in quote-unquote competitive races got their butts kicked. And so you have this mayor who claims he's a new mayor. He's only been in office eight months. He's planning a mandate, but he failed to get his choice for city council speaker. He didn't do very well in the June primaries, and his candidates got absolutely trumped here. So while he's calling himself the face of the Democratic Party nationally, right, and, and the sign of where things are going, it's not clear that his mandate translates into any of these other contests. And as I started with, I think the way these contests are structured is very weak. Turnout is pathetic. There's a lot wrong with it. But that said, he needs to either go all in and push for his candidates. If you do a wire search, you'll see there are no photos of him with any of the Democrats he endorsed and got Trump. Um, or stay out. But this, this half-in, half-out business is not going to serve him well, and it's not going to serve him well when he needs to go to Albany to get things done. Um, and he keeps losing these challenges. He's uh, these challenges. Harry Siegel of the city. I have a million more questions I could ask you all day, but for the moment, if people want to find out more about you and the work you do at the city and at the Daily News, where should I send them? The cities of the city NYC. Uh, you know where the Daily News is, and you can find me all around Brooklyn or on the social media. Perfect, Harry Siegel. Always a pleasure to have you here with us on WBAI. Thank you so much. You're listening to WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston. Just had a conversation with Harry Siegel of The City. If you like what you're hearing on Driving Forces, if you think it's important to have a radio station that takes on big topics and gets you beyond the headlines and the sound bites, you can become a BAI buddy in the name of this program. It is super easy and it only takes a minute. Just go to WBAI.org. You can set up a recurring donation in the name of the show, which we would love, or any other show. Your help uh, keeps WBAI, the kind of vibrant community radio New Yorkers have supported for more than 60 years. Please consider becoming a BAI buddy or giving to the Tower Fund to help us pay our rent and keep our signal on the air. WBAI.org. Coming up, we're going to give you your chance to weigh in. 212-209-2877 is the number to call. 212-209-2877. What do you think of our guests today, Rachel Holiday-Smith and Harry Siegel? What do you think it would take to get more New Yorkers to vote? Did you vote? Did you have trouble voting so far this year? What was the problem? We want to hear from you. Please call in 212-209-2877. Meantime, you can always go to WBAI.org and give generously to support this station. Give us a call, 212-209-2877. That's 212-209-2877. We'll be right back.
R.A.M. here on WBAI New York, 99.5 FM, and streaming live via WBAI.org. This is Driving Forces. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston. It is officially now time for you to talk. 212-209-2877 is the number to call. 212-209-2877. What did you think with our, of our talks today with our two guests from the city? Rachel Holiday-Smith, Harry Siegel. What else is going on in your mind about New York, politically, otherwise? 212-209-2877. We're going to go to our first call right now. WBAI, you're on the air. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Hello. Hi. Hi. My name is Mitch. What's on your mind Hello. today, Mitch? Oh, uh, yeah. I wonder if uh, is there the move to put voting on smartphones. I mean, we do everything else by the smartphone. You pay your bills, you do your checking, you do everything else. So why can't we vote by smartphones? That would bring in a lot of young people because they're always looking at it. And they're always uh, going through the strolling through the smartphones. So I wonder if there could be a move for that. Uh, I think that's a I think that's a, a good question, Mitch. I think that from from my uh, reporting on voting, and I, I have looked at this. Um, it's a it's an interesting proposition. They have been able to use smartphone apps for certain types of of polling and things like that. But the difference is, it, it's very interesting actually. The difference is that voting is a very unique transaction when you use uh, your phone or your computer for banking or when you use your uh, credit card or pay a bill or something like that. The transaction can be secure and private, but it's also um, very importantly linked specifically to you and your identity. The difference is with voting, you have the right to have a secret ballot. You can have your voter registration and your your actual ballot and the two can't be connected there can never be any way to connect your name to the votes you cast you're entitled to that privacy and so the security provisions that would be required to separate out and isolate and protect all that information Currently, the technology is not able to do that. So that is the the very short answer. As far as I understand it, other people are welcome to weigh in. But voting is a very different kind of transaction. And basically, from what I understand, the technology has not really caught uh, caught up yet. But maybe one day it will, because look... I I mean, if something can encourage more people to vote, uh, why why would anybody be particularly against that, right? But thank you for your call. I really do appreciate it. Uh, I think we have another caller coming up. Remember, 212-209-2877. 212-209-2877. This is Driving Forces on WBAI. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston. And we're going to go to our next caller. WBAI, you're on the air. What's your name and where are you calling from? Hi, Celeste Russ. Very informative in- uh, okay, I think we have uh, lost that caller, but we are going move. to continue with our call segment. 212-209-2877. 212-209-2877. We just spoke a little bit ago to uh, two people from the city, New York, and I hope uh, 
If you haven't checked it out, you should. It's an independent nonprofit news organization. And they have just done, uh, Rachel Holiday Smith was on here to talk about, you know, the great work that she has done looking at the reasons why New Yorkers don't show up to vote. And, you know, I'm, I'm curious to know if you want to call in and tell me about your experience voting, I would genuinely, genuinely be interested to hear about it. 212-209-2877 is the number to call. You know, we talked about all these different options. For example, what if we had universal ranked choice voting? If you voted in a, a mayoral primary in New York City, then you've already had an experience with ranked choice voting. Or maybe you lived somewhere else or voted somewhere else that had ranked choice voting. And, you know, this gives people an opportunity to go to the polls once, make a decision about uh, essentially who is the consensus candidate. It, it makes a lot of sense. You know, lots of states also have some of these same ideas that experts are talking about to make voting in New York um, easier, more accessible, more reasonable, like no excuse absentee voting. How many people out there, um, you know, in these past few elections have been able to vote by mail because of the pandemic? Well, what if you could do that um, at any other time? What if you could, uh, you know, not have to worry about having an excuse to get a mail-in ballot? There are a number of states that offer um mail ballots without an excuse. Some states do it entirely by mail. They have their whole election by mail. 212-209-2877 is the number to call. 212-209-2877 is the number to call. Interesting discussion there, too, with Harry Siegel. Uh, he is an editor at The City. He is also a columnist for the New York Daily News, where I used to work, you know, talking about the future of the Working Families Party. What role are they going to play uh, in terms of supporting candidates, in terms of how they work in concert with you know, using using that phrase a little bit lightly with the Democratic Party. And, and, you know, it's very interesting to me. People have been talking for a very long time in New York, but also nationally about the idea of wanting an other another option, a different choice. The people are sick of Democratic, you know, politics, Republican politics. You know, many, many people identify as independents, even if they lean in one direction or another, they still identify as um, independents and they want to have more choices out there. I think we have one more call that we're going to go to the phones right now. Uh, thank you for that, Reggie. WBAI, you're on the air. What's your name and where you're calling from? Hi, how are you? My name is Isaiah, and I'm calling from the Bronx. Now, what's on your mind today? I just wanted to share that I agree that accessibility presents some um, hardships and, um, you know, it might slow down some people from being able to participate in the voting process. But, um, you know, reflecting on what the gentleman was saying about using the cell phone or smartphones, it is true that it would probably make it easier for younger people Um um, but I, I think that, like, separate and apart from that, there are – I think that right nowadays in 2022, enough people are savvy enough to figure out how to, how to you know, access voting. Um, I think that, uh, to me, uh, over, uh, like, a bigger issue is how abstract – I think I'm, I'm, I'm reflecting on, you know, why more people don't come out to vote or what can, can – uh, what might – you know, make people second guess the importance of coming out to vote. And uh, I think that there's something extremely abstract about the political process. 
Um, I, you know, um, it, it seems as though politicians are, they have a platform that exists separate and apart from what the average civilian or citizens experiences. Um, all, you know, these people pop up on the radar um, by like appointment and not really, they're not really voted in from the, from the ground up. Um, mm -hmm. They seem to have, you know, uh, some sort of financial clout or local clout or popularity, and they wind up on the ticket, on the ballot. We don't really know who they are or what they're willing or able to do. Um, and and I, I think, like, when I say abstract, you know, how, you know, how can you connect someone's experience in, uh, in the street to what we see, you know, uh, the mayor talking about or the president, president talking about? All it ever really seems like is a bunch of, of chit-chat, and, and it doesn't really trickle down to the average person's experience in, in real life. And I don't see how anyone would ever want to be part of, you know, after a while, you tune out. You tune out, right? right? If, if, if someone keeps saying, hey, there's an opportunity, don't you know if you speak up and vote, you can change? Well, we can count decades and scores, and you can go, you can look at, you know, I, I'm sure if you polled many different demographics of people in the state or the country, or people of different social yeah, and they and they certainly and they certainly have and I think and I want to thank you so much for your for your call um you know I think that you make an excellent point there and the fact is that people are tuning out people are tuning out people are exhausted people are tired of bad news they are tired of conflict people are becoming you know polarized and they uh, gravitate sometimes towards news sources that tell them what they want to hear as opposed to you know news sources that are telling them the truth even if it's not fun to hear that so I do appreciate that call. I do appreciate that sentiment. I want to thank you for not tuning out today's program. We're coming into the stretch right now. I want to thank our special guests, Rachel Holiday-Smith and Harry Siegel, both of The City. Check it out. Thanks as always to you, our listeners. Thanks to our callers and thanks to our engineer, Reggie Johnson. One last reminder that your contribution to help keep free speech radio alive at WBAI all year round is tax deductible. Please go to WBAI.org today to support this station. If you missed any part of the program, you can hear it in full by subscribing to Driving Forces via Apple, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. This has been Driving Forces with Celeste Katz. Marston, Jeff Simmons will be back with us soon. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned to more great programming here on WBAI. See you.